Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week, we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Today's guest is an elite-level age group triathlete, an accomplished coach, and a motivational mentor. She's focusing on helping people of all ages and abilities and backgrounds. She has 30 years of coaching and racing knowledge to help guide and inspire athletes. She has completed hundreds of triathlons, duathlons, and multi-sport events, including four 70.3 World Ironman Championships, becoming an age group world champion in 2016. Wow. Please welcome Riley Harris. Welcome, Thanks Riley. So much, <laughs> Thank you. It's great having you on the show. We like I like to focus on endurance and endurance leadership, um, endurance mindset as well. My favorite question to ask is, Riley, tell me how your endurance mindset has impacted your life unexpectedly. Oh my gosh, there's so there's so many paths, right, to go down. I mean, and really for me, I've I've been really fortunate, as you mentioned in my short bio there. You know, I've been involved in endurance sports for 30 years and um that as a result has basically informed my entire life one way or one way or another you know when you ask me that question I sort of think about the things that change us over over time and the short answer is the things that we read and the people we meet and and so I go quickly to just the people that have come into my life from from a really young age you know from mentors who showed up in my world um, as a teenager even. Uh, my, fa my father died when I was six. He passed away from a heart attack. And um, he, he left my mum with three kids under the age of nine. And so mum's a very strong woman. Uh, thankfully, she's still here with us today and continues to inspire. Um, and, and yet, you know, there was a big gap missing in my life. So, you know, there were definitely people at a really critical time in my life where um, their presence was was surprising and incredibly powerful. So, um, one of the people I think of first and foremost was a was a a triathlete at the time, way back in the eighties, where the sport was just really new in Australia, and you know there was the iconic names kicking around, but this the sport was pretty much unknown. I remember going, you know, I was at a high school of about a thousand kids, and nobody knew what triathlon was. Uh, I, I remember standing up at a a school assembly and and uh, that the principal telling me to tell the students, you know, that I was going to this state championship event and they were like, well, what's triathlon? You know, the bug of the state championship event. I was like, what is this sport triathlon? And and so this this person um, who came in my world really influenced, I guess, decisions that I made at that time in my life where I think sometimes you can look back and you realize there was a very obvious why in the road, you know, left or right. and and thank goodness, because I think getting involved and getting hooked into endurance sports so young gave me something mentally and physically to focus on that wasn't wasn't partying, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't drugs, it wasn't, it wasn't alcohol, it wasn't messing up on the streets, you know, it, it really it gave me something to lean into that challenged me and um left me at a point where I could see that it had the potential to bring out my best. Even at such a young age, I could see there was something there and it kind of fascinated me. Apart from the community and, you know, the racing environment and the thrill of, you know, doing well, there was, there was something deeper there that, I, that, that just kept on drawing me in. 
Um, and so from, you know, from, from 16, 17 years old, I've always been surprised by those people that, that do inspire, that, you know, do come along and, and show you the way and, and you have no idea where you're going, but it just feels like the right thing, you know? Um, and that, that's the early part of my career, if you like, you know, I look now to, you know, being a full-time coach as well. And as a result, the people that have come into my world, that the athletes that I coach, you know, the goals that they have, the worlds that they're managing, their challenges that they're overcoming, and I'm continually inspired. So I look at this theme across the whole 30-odd years. I know we, we, we want to focus on the hard stuff, you know, like endurance sports. Is, it does, I think it really does bring out the best in us. Um, it strips us down. It makes us incredibly vulnerable, and it teaches a humility. Um, and empathy, like there's some there's some human factors that come with the journey of endurance sports um, that that are very real and very human, and and yet it's the people around us that bring us there. You know, it's it is that. So I, I feel incredibly grateful. I've I've met the people that I have along my journey. That's so well said, Riley. Um, and you touched on slightly an individual early in your career that that helped you in the sport, kept you on the straight and narrow. Any more specific details around either that person or another example of thinking and going in one direction and somebody that was introduced in your life helped you go into a different direction or even see an insight that you hadn't seen before? So as a 52-year-old now looking at, you know, being a mentor to my boyfriend's son, he's nine, and realizing that, you know, you can be an influence. But being on the other end at 16 years old, it was actually my mum's boyfriend at the time who was doing this, what I thought was crazy stuff. He was climbing mountains and doing these, you know, he was peak bagging, which I didn't even know was a thing, you know, back then. And um, he'd run these, these marathons and I just thought, gosh, you know, that just seems so like abnormal. It just se it seemed like outside of the box to me. And that appealed because I knew like everybody could think of the kid that they hung out with at high school, right? Like it was that they were the trouble, they were the troublemaker and how easy it could have been for me to say, you know, there, but for me go, oh, I thankfully that, that wasn't my path, but I think everybody's had that experience or everybody is a, as a parent with their children has been able to identify that, you know, that, that influence in their child's life that they feel like they're almost, you know, they're, they don't have any control over it. And, and so I think that's where sport and particularly endurance sport, because it, it is, it is such an emotional commitment to, to what you do. You know, there's, there's, you've got to be uncomfortable, you've got to learn to be uncomfortable for a long time. So I think teaching kids that at, at a younger age, it just sets them up for a much more resilient adulthood. And I, I realize now that's what happened for me, you know, and, and so Bill, who was this you know, he was just like, come along for a ride, come out for a run with me. We'll go swim in a lake. I'm like, okay, this sounds fantastic. I, I never thought that I'd end up doing triathlon. And I certainly didn't think I would end up racing it for my, you know, entire life on and off. And I certainly didn't think I would be representing Australia, you know, I mean, Sony point three world championships. Like that wasn't, that wasn't my path, but I kept leaning into that. And I kept that, that attraction, which was what does it feel like to get uncomfortable and be there for a little while? What can I learn about myself that makes me the better version of myself? You know, and that's such a throwaway line. I, I realize that, um, but it has, it's made me a better version of myself. I know when I'm in a bad mood or I'm in a funk, you know, like 
um, I, I coach people with depression, that the training helps them. The training is a tool to make them more resilient to everything that's coming at them from everywhere in their world. And I think we are really challenged today to find quiet space, a place where we can feel safe. And I think that's another whole topic, but feel safe and feel vulnerable and, and that be something that we learn through, not something that, that is a, a point of destruction or a, a place where we feel inferior. I think we, there's, there's power in that given the right environment. And so as a coach, now I realize I get to provide that for athletes. I get to take them along that journey. And what I see more and more um, is that it doesn't stop when the race stops or the training session stops, when that training block ends, it continues to flow into every part of that person's world, into their work, into their relationships, into even the goal sets that they never imagined that they could set themselves outside of their sporting world. Um, the health aspect, you know, physical and mental, there's just, there's so many benefits to it. And, and we're all along on this ride, right? Like, you know, it, Greg, like you, you do it yourself. Like what, you know, like what keeps you coming back? It's kind of an, it's an addiction of kinds. It, it absolutely is. Um, and Riley, I'm, I'm curious, when you took on coaching, did you expect this to be an aspect of your your coaching? Like thinking yeah. back in the day when you took on this endeavor to be a coach, was this mental support, the lifestyle, the like you really are a life coach in addition to an endurance coach to these athletes. Was that in your thinking when you took this on? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I didn't, I didn't think of that as being an intrinsic benefit to this position, but it makes sense now because when I think about what, what sort of channeled me into making this decision was my fascination for people, of people, and, and discovering what motivates them and what inspires them and what makes them tick um, is actually part of that. So I didn't, I didn't think of it like the outcome, but that would be how my role would unfold or that that would be a big percentage of the time that I spend literally on the phone, you know, coaching people through tough, tough stuff. Uh, it's just that the endurance sport is the, the platform that we get to work from. You know, I think every, everybody in leadership and business has the same opportunity. Uh, I just get to, and, and hopefully everybody in business is doing something that they are passionate about, that they feel like they're giving something positive back to the planet, to their fellow human. I'm just really fortunate I get to do it in, in, in a medium that I'm passionate about and that I'm involved in personally. So that cross-pollination of realising what I get from it is also something that I offer my athletes because I'm the reflection or they're the reflection of me. Often I'm learning from them. They're bringing something to the table that I've never even contemplated and we nut things out together, you know. So, no, I'm not a psychologist, but I am definitely uh a life guide. I think, yeah, that's, that's a really, that's a really good title. Maybe it should be triathlon coach life guide. <laughs> no, you're right. I could do that. <laughs> there you go. Um, a promotion. In, in fact, um, so let's go back to your history. How did you get into coaching? Yeah. Obviously you, you shared some stories with us about a young age, you got into endurance sports and, and triathlon and bills involved. And thank you for sharing that. Um, how did that morph into what you're doing now? Yeah, so I, I, I did a four-year degree at university focusing on sport and health and sports science and, and loved that. I really enjoyed that. 
But what hit me as a 22, 23-year-old hitting, you know, the ground running with the world at my feet um, was that I wasn't well equipped. <laughs> so I, what I did actually was spend a lot of time just exploring that world. So I, I moved into um, facility management, program management, um, health and well-being, even, even um, twisted some of the content of that and applied it to the tourism industry, looking, just looking for that place that I felt like I belonged. Um, and the whole time I was training and racing multi-sport or, you know, if I was traveling, I, I backpacked around Europe for four or five years and I always had my running shoes with me. So I was always, you know, I was looking for the next half marathon that I could race, you know, and, and so I, I was always doing this thing, but I, I don't know, it was almost like the most obvious thing that was right in front of me was invisible. And, and so, you know, wandering through life, traveling, um, exploring, quitting jobs, you know, moving countries, you know, as, as, as someone who's exploring does, and I think Aussies have a tendency to do that. Um, I, it just took me a while to realize this was, this was going to be the space that I was going to really lean into and become the, the expert in, you know, like the master in. And so in my mid thirties, I was fortunate enough. I was at a race in Australia and, and a, a new coach, as it turns out, I didn't know at the time, for an organisation in Australia came up to me after the race. I think I won it. And he probably saw some talent. He said, have you ever thought about getting a coach? I'm like, no. And that was really the start of it because as soon as I realised that I was worthy of having a coach, I realised that I could be one too. And so I was fortunate enough to work with Jamie for a few years and got involved with the um, Early Triathlon Performance Australia was the, was the organisation when I moved back to California. I spoke to the head coach at the time and I said, hey, Matt, I think, I think there's space out here for the model. Um, let's do this in California. He's like, he was all for it. And what that ultimately was all about and, and the reason I, I, I kind of really felt attached to it was because it wasn't just about the training. It was about how you support the individual. So what sits around the age group athlete in particular um, that is just as, just as important as maybe a pro athlete, right? All the stuff that you assume the pro athlete just gets, and that's not always the case either, but, you know, the massage, the psychology, the equipment, you know, the fine tuning, the physics, the, the PT, that, you know, all those things that just help build that athlete kind of didn't really exist at that time um, in the state. So that, that was the model I brought to, to the table out here. And it, it was clearly successful. Um, people, people got it straight away. And so I transitioned from health promotion in Australia to starting my own business out here in California in 2014 and have never looked back. You, you bring up a great point. Um, and I find it amazing with the people and the coaches and the technology and the nutrition and all the data that's available for me, who's a back of the packer racer, right? I, there's many reasons why I do what I do. Um, but I'm curious, how have you seen that change from the beginning of your coaching career to today? I mean, a lot of the, the tools and the advantages that the pro athletes have really have migrated into the amateur athletes. And luckily, so we stay fitter and, and last longer. But talk to, us about, talk to us about how that's changed over time. Yeah, I and mean, that's definitely something that I feel like I I and I feel responsible for whatsoever because there's so many great coaches out there and you know USA Triathlon have have driven you know this more holistic focus on the athlete. Um, there, there's a lot of private enterprise that's pushing the tech and the integration. Um, I'm also the head coach for an AI based endurance um, training app, which brings all of that tech together 
um, but still has the emphasis on, on the human, you know, the human side of how you integrate all this data but make it real and usable for the athlete um, in real time. So, you know, and, and this has happened in eight, nine years. Like it's, you know, not even a decade of time where I've literally seen it from static, you know, non-flexible training plan PDFs, you know, downloaded off the internet. Or even when I started coaching, you know, 20 years ago, it was a handwritten thing that you sent in the mail, right? Like really that wasn't that long ago. I love that that wasn't that long ago. And I've, I've, I've seen all of that, but certainly coming out here, talking to different partners and, and establishing those partnerships with some of those key providers, the PT, the screeners, the, um, you know, the swim coaches, the specialists was like, oh, this is such a great idea. Why wouldn't be, this be a triage? Like, why wouldn't I, as the PT for your athlete, why wouldn't I have direct communication to you as the coach so you understand what I'm working on, you know? So all of a sudden the gates were open and communication about how we support the athlete just became more and more normal for me anyway. Um, and then what I discovered is I was starting to, to do some more, you know, more online training and going to, you know, certifications and talking to more coaches was that this was something that was starting to be owned by the industry. And I, and I think that's been put, that's been influenced by a lot of different directions and that, that, you know, I think that's super exciting because yeah, to do this for a lifetime takes care. It takes, you know, body care. It takes mental care. It takes time management. You're looking at work-life balance. There's a, a lot of pieces that come together for an age group athlete to be successful and in, and to be in this for a long time. You know, if we're talking about longevity and, you know, basic health metrics for our population to look better in the future, we have to take care of the detail now. And so I'm really excited that that's a norm part of the industry now, that we look at an age grouper in the same vein as we do a pro athlete. You know, obviously we don't have necessarily the resources, particularly on the time side of things, but these resources are all available and, and it's super exciting that we can now access that and be, you know, and, and be looking at long-term careers as, as an endurance sports athlete. I think that's super exciting. You left me a bunch of breadcrumbs to chase after, and I'll get into those. But the first one is, um, you just mentioned it about time and how there's a fundamental difference between a professional who that's what they do from 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. What do you, what tricks or tools do you see your, um, you know, your athletes using to help manage time? Yeah, there's two aspects to that too. I think there's the um, the the real emotional thing, which is you know what 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 in your bucket are you are you trying to balance? Like what fills up your bucket on a day to day? Is it what are the important tasks? You know what does your job look like? Where does that pull you? Where does that take you? What kind of energy does that take up? Like that's the emo the kind of the emotional bucket, and then you've got the physical bucket. You know what what capacity does your physiology avail you for for this certain level of training or for this certain prescription of training and I think that's where when you start putting those two buckets together alongside and consider them as almost one but you know clearly two that's when we that's when we see success in in age group I actually think in pro treat uh, racing as well it, it, it is a, it is a two like bucket analysis and so certainly as a coach I'm looking at the physiology and finding out how far we can push that particular athlete just to the edge. And then how far, how far can we, or what can we do about moving these other pieces from a, an emotional perspective to optimize the physical, right? Because if, 
if an athlete or anybody for that matter is showing up in life stressed and overworked and, and not sleeping and not eating well, you know, look at all these basic kind of almost for free tactics that help us maintain our health and well-being. The training almost doesn't matter. Like you can ask an athlete to do anything, but they're not they're not going to get the benefit from it. So we we have to think about these two pieces. And that's what I was talking about before with this AI-based endurance training app is is we can't just look at the data. We need we need to be able to communicate with the athlete and find out how they're traveling on a night on a day-to-day basis. What's actually bugging them today? Is it the emotional? Is it the physical? Is it a bit of both? You know, I tend to think most of the time it's a bit of both. <laughs> and, and it's kind of teasing that out of the situation so that we can really drill into um, how we how we can create an environment for that athlete to show up best. So you touched on my second breadcrumb, um, this AI-based app. Uh, this is the first I've ever heard of such a thing. So talk to me about what it is. How do you, does it work? Like, is it a tool that you developed? Give us the, the details of it, please. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a team member of, of an incredibly talented team. I don't, I am, I'm not in the tech side of it whatsoever. I am literally the representative for the human part, the coaching and the, and the user. So the athlete that's actually in the app using it on a day-to-day basis. I met the founder, Eric. Uh, so the pl- platform's called Humango, humango.humango.ai. I met the founder a couple of years ago at an endurance exchange, um, just a big conference. Uh, industry conference, and we we kept on showing up at the same workout, the workouts. Like it was just like, um, or, you know, there would be a breakout session, there'd be a guest speaker, and I'd look over and there would Eric be, and then we'd be walking to dinner or something, and there would Eric be. And we got we ended up having these chit chats about you know coaching, and then came out that he had you know been developing this this idea for a while, and. Um, he explained to me that his idea was that he would he he would develop a platform that was supported by AI, uh, that would sort of be a, a, de- a depository for all of the data that sort of currently exists, and we would use that to drive coaching going forward. And I'm like, no, like no, you're trying to put me out of a job. Like I'm mean, apart from the fact that you're talking craziness, like you're trying to put me out of a job. And, and I think he, he I think he appreciated my challenging him. But I was generally threatened in that moment. I was like, well, it, it made me think about what was happening in our world. Because this wasn't that long ago. It was only two and a half years ago. I was thinking, gosh, am I about to, like, am I, is our whole industry about to be turned upside down? Anyway, Eric and I got a chance to catch up a few more times. We went for dinner. He told me a little bit more about his philosophy. I shared with him mine. And he's like, I resonate with your human approach. I, I really get what you're saying when it comes to you can have this ideal scenario, you can analyze all the data, but how that actually plays out on a day-to-day basis for any individual is so personal. I don't know that any AI is ever going to be able to, you know, really drive that 100%. And so we kept in touch for six months and we exchanged ideas and, you know, finally it got to, well, we got to work together. So he brought me on as the head coach really to help inform all these amazing software engineers and tech people about what it looked like on the coach's side of things, what it looked like on the human side of things. So as this app was developed, it has 50% tech and 50% human kind of coming together. Humanda, I mean, it's kind of, it's in the name. (laughs) Um, 
So what that looks like on a day-to-day basis anyway as a coach using it is that um, whatever wearable the athlete is using, um, all the information gets loaded up into Humango. And they're graphs like you would see on any wearable, right, app. But what we do is then add the analysis of what that actually looks like for that particular athlete. And we get some subjective information from the athlete as well. So actually, how did that go for you today? Did that feel rotten? Did that feel incredible? Um, and we put, we put the two together. So that helps inform the training load that's prescribed going forward. So we're really adapting to the human on a day-to-day basis. We're not waiting for two, three, four weeks down the track to make the correction. We're making it in real time. So now all of a sudden, you know, we've gone from these static downloadable PDFs 20 years ago or, you know, even handwritten notes in the mail to this adaptable training plan that can literally shift tomorrow if it needs to. It's it's wild. Like what's happening in the industry is, it's incredible to think. That's fantastic. Yeah. And and I can see the value of having that real-time data, right? So if you had a terrible training ride today or a run, how it should impact what you do tomorrow, right? Maybe you're pushing too much or maybe the conditions weren't right or maybe your nutrition is off or there's always something behind the scenes that's sort of driving that performance. Always, because we're human. That's right. our that's our underlying condition. We're human, and we are so influenced by our environment, mentally and physically. We're influenced by it all. So, yeah, how how we show up is going to determine how we adhere to the training prescription, and then also as a result, how we're going to adapt to that training dose. So, yeah, I think I think this this is an opportunity for us to be a lot wiser about how we're pushing those limits, like how we're discovering those limits for an athlete and then feeling okay, skipping a day because actually all the data, subjective or not, doesn't really matter. All the data is saying, you're actually really fatigued. You're tired. So how about we take a rest day and we start back with, you know, hundred percent battery the day after and get, and get the true value from the training instead of just continually digging yourself this hole and wonder why you're not improving. You just touched on one of my favorite topics. Um, it's around recovery. Talk to us about the importance of recovery across a training plan or in an endurance athlete's, you know, week to week, month to month program. Yes, and this is one of my favorite topics because I think so many people are challenged by it. That for me as a coach and, and honestly for me as an athlete getting my own head around this, I think is one of the hardest pieces. Yet, when we get it right, it's one of the most powerful because the point is if we're, I think of the human body like a sponge and you can be drip feeding the sponge and at some point it becomes saturated. Well, the human body's kind of like that with training as well. At some point it gets, it becomes saturated. There's, there's only so much training stress that the, the body of the sponge can take. After which point the sponge starts to drip can't hold on to anymore. That's that's now at stake. It's not going to change until maybe the conditions around it change, things dry up, you know, that's the sponge. And the human body with training is exactly the same. So until the external conditions change, we're actually not going to experience those adaptions that the training is intended to create. We need to back off of the drip feed to allow the body to truly recover to get stronger, to um, 
experience that that physiological adaption in all the energy systems that we've just overloaded or all the the musculature systems that we've just you know like muscle groups I should say that we've just overloaded the body can't recover and get fitter without that rest so on a micro and a macro sort of level we need to be looking at that so on a week to week on a block to block on a period to period and a year to year basis we need to be looking at that and I think there's a an aspect of the endurance sports athlete's mind that just says more is best, more is best, harder is best. And we're not realizing this is actually destroying us. It leads to, you know, some pretty dr drastic health deterioration, but particularly later in age, um, later in life, um, injury, you know, seeing people kind of out there training, you know, clearly needing some time off, but they just, they just keep pushing and pushing to, to deterioration. And, and so I think when we shift the mindset around it being not more is less, is more, is more is best is, is I'm going to treat myself to some recovery. So I actually gift myself these, these physiological adaptions. I actually gift myself this improvement in fitness. Um, and it, you know, it starts with sleep sleep hygiene, just good sleep, all the things that happen during sleep, even, even the brain cleanses, like, you know, how we show up after a good night's sleep is completely different to how we show up after a bad night's sleep. We make better decisions, you know, like the, the, it, it, it influences every aspect of our psychology and our, our physiology. So I think if, if there was any low hanging fruit for any athlete to lean into, it would be that aspect. It would be the recovery. And, you know, when they see on their training plan, three weeks of training load and one week of adaption that they actually take the time to adapt. Don't, you know, like don't just keep pushing and I, you know, the conversation, oh, are you, oh, I get it. Oh, so that load has been decreased and that in intensity has been decreased. Now, cognitively that works, but a lot of the time in reality, it doesn't for people. It's hard. It's hard to just take, take a step back. So hard because um, you do feel as if you're going to miss out or maybe you'll get addicted to recovery and become lazy <laughs> and then completely get away from your goal. Um, so Riley, taking that again one step further, what are some common signs of being overtrained? Right? What, what would you see in an athlete that you'd run over to him or her and say, hey, you should really consider taking the next week off or, or, or bringing down your load. Um, what are some common indicators that that, that, need, that should happen for an athlete? Yeah. So for me, one of the, um, the most common trends that I'm looking at is hit resting heart rate and, and, and volume of sleep. So I like to see those, those two graphs alongside each other as well, because usually one helps inform the other. Um, but if I'm seeing a sudden uptick in resting heart rate, for an athlete, for me, that's, you know, that's, that's a warning sign to at least pay attention for another couple of days. HIV is another way of doing the same thing. So, you know, seeing the number drop, seeing the number increase, you know, we want to see the number increase, but seeing the number drop and stay down is, is another thing that, that actually in real time can also tell us there's something critically wrong with the central nervous system. that The body isn't actually, um, dealing with the stress well at all. So I think those, those two aspects combined with sleep, they're, you know, when you're, when you're in someone's data, that, that's what I'm looking for. Um, when you maybe you see post-workout for an athlete that 
given pretty standardized environmental conditions, temperature, wind, terrain, um, the relative heart rate go up for the pace. That's like, that's a warning sign too. So, you know, again, it's coming back to the actual output of what the heart is doing. Um, so when I see, you know, an athlete that would just be normally going out for maybe a 40 minute zone two run where their average heart rate might be, you know, 124, say for example, and their pace might be nine and a half minute mile. Well, if I'm looking at their graph and I see a nine and a half minute mile, but instead of 124, I'm seeing 140 beats per minute, I'm asking a question. Like, are you, how are you feeling? Like, did you sleep well last night? Are you feeling like you're pushing the envelope a little much? Like, do we need to back off a little bit? No, I'm asking questions at that point because it's not always obvious. Even to the athlete who's experiencing that, it's always obvious what's going on for them. Um, for a lot of people, um, particularly in this sort of day and age where um, business is being pushed in lots of different directions, um, the pressures of work are mounting and mounting and mounting steadily, but they're not necessarily aware of it. And so, you know, this anxiety, this sustained anxiety is having an impact on how the central nervous system is functioning. And we're normally going out for a 40-minute zone two run would actually make you feel good. That's the tipping point. And so, yeah, so sort of that line of inquiry and finding out what's really going on for that that particular human, that particular person is is really key. Do you, in your training plans, um, put a specific run or a specific block in the plan just for that purpose? You know, the 40-minute zone to nine-and-a-half-minute miles, getting your athletes to do a repeated block on a, some sort of frequency, just so you can manage that data versus like, it's more about the data and information than it is actually about the performance in that block. Yes. Yeah. And, and that can change. So you can have, you can have this ideal annual training plan that has these periods where, you know, you're working on your base zone too, you're working on your upper end threshold. You've got a little bit of power, maybe you're polarizing it and you're mixing it down the track, you know, like just in a traditional build type concept. But then all of a sudden you realize actually this athlete isn't going well and you do got to, you have to take a step back and you switch everything out and it's all about zone two. All right, let's just come back to our baseline and let's not overload the system too much. Let's just stay in that healthy zone two and kind of realign what's actually going on for you because at zone two, um, all of the, all of the physiological adaptions that happen at that level actually also help. The other, the other higher level too, not, not as much, but we're, we're still getting that little bit of benefit, but we're not putting that higher level of stress on the system. So it just allows that athlete to kind of take a step back, still feel like they're doing something productive because they are, they're taking care ultimately of their cardiovascular system. Um, but they're not, they're not having to go through these peaks and troughs of energy defi you know, deficiency and, and uh, more focused recovery periods. They can probably go out every day and do a zone two workout. As frustrating for some people as that might be. <laughs> I love them too. <laughs> now, I, I'll share with you. I, I, I started coaching um, an ex-Navy SEAL the end of last year. And you can imagine the mindset of, of this particular mm. individual. Like just I'd go hard. You know, it's all about like finding that limit and pushing beyond it. That's the mindset that's been ingrained for years from a professional and personal perspective. And so 
re-educating this human about what it means to slow things down in order to just get a baseline health level back was was a process. But for some reason, he decided he would buy in. And I'm really grateful that he decided to buy in. And, you know, he would go out and he would have to walk to keep, to keep the zone two kind of thing happening for him. And like, that's okay, stay there, stay there. And then the walk all of a sudden turned into a run. And now he's running eight and a half minute miles in zone two, like it's nothing, you know. And, and, and this was somebody that was, you know, walking 12 minute miles to start. And that's happened in, now I'm sure if you'd have had the conversation and told him it was going to take six months, six months ago. But that, that's a relatively short period of time in the career of an insurance sports athlete. Like he has a long-term vision of doing some wonderful things down the track. But for him, that's been a game changer for him. There was nothing highly scientific about it other than we just focused on zone two. Awesome. All right, shifting gears slightly, uh, Riley, talk to us about your coaching program, who you like to work with. Give us a sense of uh, who's your ideal client. Who's my ideal athlete? My ideal athlete is someone that believes there's more. Somebody that believes that, that they're capable of something they haven't found yet, that there's something else to be discovered and they know they can't do it alone. You know, they've got that level of humility. Um, they've explored enough. They've maybe raced one or two races, possibly failed quite like dramatically at one or two of those events, um, have maybe even injured themselves. And I don't want, like, I don't want people coming to me that are injured, but most of the time that's able to manage the load and the rest and recovery appropriately. They haven't considered that this is actually a long-term journey. Endurance sports training is, and, and racing is a long-term vision. Um, I know there's people that decide to do an Ironman, it's one and done, and I, I think that's fantastic because that in and of itself is an incredible accomplishment. Um, but the people I like to work with are the ones that are looking at this as a life. It's a, we almost choose this as a lifestyle. You know, it's not a thing that we have. It's a thing that we are. It doesn't necessarily define us, but is a big part of what makes us who we are. And so it's that person. It's that person that, and they, they have to have a little belief in themselves, you know, like, and kind of going back to my own personal experience, when somebody asked me, had I ever thought of having a coach? The first thing that popped in my mind was, well, no, why, why would I get a coach? Like, I'm not, you know, like I don't, you know, and now I'm the coach, <laughs> you know, looking for these people that were like me, that were just on the edge of kind of some personal breakthroughs. Um, and it's got nothing to do with pace or where people finish in the pack, because to me, somebody, regardless of whether they're a pro or literally the, the last person at the end of the cutoff, you know, you know, a double Ironman race they're still looking for the best version of themselves. Like that, that's what I'm interested in is how are these people willing to lean into the discomfort of what it takes to explore that? Because it, you do it nearly every day, don't you? Like it, it's something, um, you know, the discipline that comes with it. I think, you know, coming back to the idea of the humility and the, and the empathy, that those aspects we revisit every day as a part of this journey. So you got to work that, you know, that, that's my ideal client. I, I find the, the leaning into discomfort is where growth comes from. So Riley, how can people get in touch with you? Um, well, my business name is Endurus, N-D-U-R-S.com is my website. And if anybody was interested in looking up Humango, the app, it's Humango, H-U-M-A-N-G-O dot A-I. Um, 
if you are interested in um, being self-coached, that's probably the option for you. I do use Humango to coach all of my athletes. So either which way, you'd probably be exposed to that anyway. Um, and hey, I'm out and about racing myself. I'm going to be in Oregon at the end of July. Um, I'm chasing another world championship. Um, so, you know, social media is another spot that you'll see my journey. I like to share what that looks like from a coach's perspective, um, you know, the ups and downs of all of that, not just the pretty stuff, but the tough stuff as well. Um, so Endurus or Co Endurus Coach is my Instagram handle. Awesome. And we'll include those in the show notes along with the links. Um, really, I, I love the journey you took us on today. You know, we started uh, earlier talking about the people we've met and how it's influenced our paths. Um, and it's so true, right? If I think about my endurance journey so far, there was a very specific person at the beginning that that kind of leaned me away from long distance swimming and lead me into triathlon. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation about the balance between emotional and physical. Um, and then that led us into this great conversation into recovery, right? And how important that is to our day-to-day -day life. And we're not just being lazy, we're actually helping our bodies and our long-term performance by having an active recovery uh, plan. Um, so audience members, if you got some insights and got some value out of our conversation today, we ask that you share it. We ask that you subscribe to the show. Uh, please send this to your friends and family so that Riley's message and this conversation can be shared with a, a greater audience. Again, it's been awesome having you on the show. You're really super passionate and a powerful coach. I can tell just from the, this short conversation. Oh, thank you so much, Greg. Thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Exciting things to come here. Yeah. yeah, and good luck in Oregon next month. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits 